On March 2, 2004, voters filed into booths across the United States. They cast their ballots, deciding which presidential hopeful would be the Democratic nominee. Nine days later, Massachusetts Senator John Kerry won the nomination. He would face off against President George W. Bush in the general election later that year. It was democracy in action. Or so it seemed. Kerry was a solid choice. He was well-educated and well-connected. At Yale, he'd been a member of Skull and Bones, an elite student club. But rumors also suggested Skull and Bones was a secret society. Reportedly, initiation rituals involved lying naked in a coffin, and each member was given a gift of $15,000. This gossip was the tip of the iceberg. Hardcore conspiracy theorists believed Skull and Bones was trying to seize control of the world through the NWO. And it's not hard to see why. Its powerful members included two Supreme Court justices, a CIA director, and the man who founded Time, Life, and Fortune magazines. One alumni was of special note in 2004, Kerry's opponent, President Bush. While both men campaigned for the presidency, Meet the Press host Tim Russert asked Kerry and Bush about the group's goals, but they didn't answer. Bush only replied, quote, It's so secret, we can't talk about it. Maybe he was making a playful joke, leaning into the conspiratorial rumors about the secret society. Joke or not, a former member would soon be the most powerful person on Earth. No matter who lost, the Skull and Bones would win. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. This season, we're asking, is someone trying to institute a new world order? And have they already succeeded? That's why I wanted to speak to you today about the new world taking shape around us, about the prospects for a new world order now within our reach. Well, a system of government that is mostly unresponsive to most of the people is not a democracy at all. What do you think a new world order is? Well, basically, it's one government that controls the entire world. We've introduced you to the powerful international groups that meet in total secrecy, and we've explored the dark money that flows through politics. All suggest we have much less influence over our lives than we think. This episode, we're asking, do we truly live in a democracy? And if not, who's really running the show? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. 
Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Around 500 BCE, the ancient Greek people had a radical idea. They believed citizens should take an active role in their government and manage it themselves. They called this plan democracy, literally, rule by the people. 2,500 years later, it's a value that many Westerners hold dear. By and large, we believe the government should be responsible to the will of the people. If the public doesn't like what their leaders are doing, we can elect new representatives. We have a voice. And with this voice, we have power. That's partly why we're so disturbed by the idea of a new world order that manipulates us from behind closed doors. If we don't like what they're doing, we can't just vote them out. Their control is unchecked. But while it's hard to find evidence of a real-life NWO, Our worst fears that we'll lose authority over our government and our own lives are already coming true. Modern New World Orders may look completely different from the Illuminati of old. Instead of a single group pulling the world's strings, power might be divided among many different, not-so-secret societies. Throughout the 20th century, groups with vague, almost bureaucratic-sounding names popped up across the world. The Trilateral Commission, the World Economic Forum, and the Council on Foreign Relations. Far from shadowy crypts, these groups held their meetings in fancy hotel rooms and skyscraper offices. But maybe we don't have to worry about these organizations controlling our lives. One of the founders of the Bilderberg Group, an annual conference for world leaders, said, We never sought to reach a consensus on the big issues at Bilderberg. It's simply a place for discussion. But when you look at the topics of conversation, this innocent-seeming discussion begins to look pretty serious. Bilderberg's 2009 conference listed the following talking points on its schedule. The role of institutions, cyber-terrorism, governments, and markets, and a new order, the United States and the world. Perhaps the real decisions are being made here in total secrecy. Or the leaders of the world may gather in a nondescript brick building in San Francisco. One of its walls displays a unique bronze sculpture of a spooky owl perched on a branch. Behind it, the words, Weaving spiders come not here. This is a Shakespeare line that means, basically, leave your worries behind. This is not a place for business. These are the headquarters for the all-male Bohemian Club, formed in 1872. Just like their buttoned-up counterparts at the Bilderberg Group, they claim they don't make any real policy decisions. 
Talking business isn't just frowned upon, there's a rule against it. At least officially. But wild rumors have swirled about their confidential, cult-like retreat in the Redwood Forests. The grounds are known as the Bohemian Grove. There, U.S. presidents and other industry leaders engage in seemingly satanic rituals. Once night falls, women and miners are forced to leave. The congregation gathers around a man-made lake where robed figures set an effigy ablaze. But the real danger isn't the occult-like practices. It's when the members break their vows and mix business with pleasure. During their lakeside talks, powerful guests speak about public policy. Because these gatherings are totally secret, there's no official record of them. Some conspiracy theorists have tried to fill in the blanks with allegations about burning babies, human sacrifice, and pagan rituals. But activist Mary Moore said, the world is bad enough without having to make stuff up. It's not good if they're discussing public policy behind closed doors. That's what people should be afraid of. As we mentioned, secrecy could be a major tool for the NWO. It's why democracy needs transparency to work. Citizens have to know what's going on so they can hold the government accountable. And since we don't know what's discussed at the Lakeside Talks, we can't say for sure how these discussions shape policy. But we do know how one Bohemian Grove meeting changed the course of history. Ernest Lawrence was a brilliant young scientist who in the 1930s invented an early type of particle accelerator. Most of his work was funded by the University of Berkeley, but he wanted to create an even larger version, and that required money the school didn't have. He needed to reach into deeper pockets, so Lawrence asked a university leader, who happened to be a Bohemian Club member, to invite him to the retreat. Even though the club technically forbids business talk, Lawrence was shrewd. The Grove was the perfect setting to rub elbows. CEOs and politicians bunked up in quaint, woodsy cabins. In the dining hall, Lawrence washed dishes while wealthy patrons dried. It was easy to cozy up to some of the world's richest and most powerful men. This kitchen sink intimacy paid off. One Bohemian member, a university regent, took a leadership position on the committee that ran Lawrence's radiation lab. This ensured he had plenty of support. Another regent gave Lawrence $75,000 for a larger building that could house his research. Thanks to these resources, Lawrence won a Nobel Prize two years later. And his relationship with the club wasn't over. He arranged another clandestine meeting at the Grove during the height of World War II. After the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, the U.S. was eager to crush the Axis powers. Lawrence was invited to the S-1 Executive Committee, which was researching uranium. They hoped to develop a weapon that could finally end the war. But in September 1942, the S-1 Committee was at a standstill. Questions of security and secrecy plagued the group. Disagreements between S-1 and the Army meant no one knew who was in charge. Lawrence had an idea of how to move forward. He drove the scientists and Army officers 60 miles north to Bohemian Grove. They stayed in one of the lodges, which was stocked with liquor and plenty of red meat. Due to secrecy, we don't know exactly what went on that weekend, 
But we do know the S-1 committee worked out their differences. They hammered out a plan which morphed into what is now known as the Manhattan Project, the initiative that developed the atomic bomb. Three years later, nuclear weapons wiped out over 100,000 residents of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and helped to end the war. To be fair, the S-1 committee wasn't part of Bohemian Grove. But without the connections Lawrence made, he might not have been able to raise the money for his research in the first place. As one committee participant put it, the Grove meeting shaped the entire destiny of the project. Plus, the Grove offered the perfect atmosphere to forge bonds within the S-1 committee. And that's an important feature of these kinds of gatherings. People who meet with an exclusive group in casual settings tend to forge stronger bonds than in ordinary meetings. And it leads to a sort of you-scratch-my-back, I'll-scratch-yours mentality. The reality is, relationships are the main driver of power. And groups like the Bohemian Grove are still facilitating friendships that reshape our world today. They make it easy for CEOs to settle contracts and for lobbyists to pitch officials. And allegedly, every four years, they make sure the right person, their person, becomes president of the United States. Coming up, how secret organizations may choose our leaders for us. The most urgent mysteries in the world are missing persons cases. The stakes are too high not to pursue every plausible possibility and some implausible ones too. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new podcast, Disappearances. In 2020, after spending years searching for the truth, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades long disappearance. Now, every Thursday on Spotify, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. From child abductions and mystifying murders to those who took drastic measures to start over, each episode of Disappearances journeys through a different high-profile missing persons case, ripped from the headlines and ripe for explanation. Because no one just vanishes into thin air. The answers are out there, waiting to be found. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances Hear a new episode every Thursday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. One of the hallmarks of democracy is a free and fair election. Citizens exercise their power by voting for the leaders they want. At the end of each politician's term, their constituents can reevaluate whether they made the right choice. Fair and free elections are a sacred right that many Americans hold dear. 
It's why women and people of color fought so hard for their enfranchisement rights. And there, why some are so worried about voter fraud, despite the lack of evidence. Perhaps this is all a distraction. As we suggested in the Skull and Bones story, it's possible our leaders are chosen before we even get to the ballot box. For example, in 1967, Richard Nixon wanted to run for president, but he was damaged goods. Years earlier, he'd lost a general election. He needed to prove himself if he wanted back on the Republican ticket. At that year's Bohemian Grove retreat, organizers invited him to give a lakeside talk. He squeezed the opportunity for all it was worth, giving an emotional lecture that inspired the elite Republican attendees. Nixon was planting the seed for his nomination far away from the public eye. And in his memoir, he described it as a major milestone on his road to the presidency. He also used the Grove to take out the competition. During the retreat, Nixon and another presidential hopeful, Ronald Reagan, sat on a bench under a towering redwood tree. He told Reagan of his plans to enter the presidential primaries, but he didn't want to compete against a fellow Republican. They made a deal. Reagan said he wouldn't run in 1968 so Nixon could have the field to himself. And without a challenger, Nixon soared to the nomination. A year and a half later, he took his place in the Oval Office. The Grove had allowed him to manipulate the election. But ultimately, the White House was small potatoes. The real kingmakers may be an international conference of world leaders, the secretive Bilderberg Group. The name Bilderberg was taken from the Dutch hotel where they first met in 1954. Once a year afterward, just over a hundred of the most powerful people in the world gathered at a single location. Attendees included figures from politics, finance, the military, academia, and the media. No notes were taken, and no reporters were allowed to attend. But the signs of the meeting are unmistakable, if you know what to look for. Black sedans with tinted windows, shadowy private security guards, and white placards stamped with an insignia, the letter B. When the meeting was held in Ottawa in 2006, even the local police were shut out. They had to present their credentials to the private security team to even approach the premises. It sounds like the behavior you'd expect from an evil syndicate in a James Bond film. But this is real. The Bilderberg Group has the kind of power and secrecy that the NWO would dream about. And one of their founding members, British Labour Party Dennis Healy, even revealed how the conference helped elect a UK Prime Minister. According to Healy, Margaret Thatcher gave a rousing speech at the 1975 Bilderberg meeting. Heavy-hitting conservatives like David Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger instantly backed her. Four years later, she was Prime Minister of Britain. A similar incident happened in 1991, when Vernon Jordan invited the governor of Arkansas to a Bilderberg meeting in Germany. The politician was warmly charismatic, shaking hands with everyone in the room. His name was Bill Clinton. If the Bilderberg Group wanted to cement their power by installing world leaders, they had a suspiciously good track record. But Healy made another shocking admission. He said, quote, 
To say we were striving for a one-world government is exaggerated, but we felt that a single community throughout the world would be a good thing. However, there's no proof that a secret vote made Clinton the front-runner for U.S. president. On the other hand, there is hard evidence that the Bilderberg Group had strong ties to the nation's vice presidents. Democratic power broker Jim Johnson was a top Bilderberger for many years. And in 2004, John Kerry's team tapped him to lead the search for his running mate. When Senator John Edwards attended that year's Bilderberg meeting in Italy, attendees were impressed. A month later, Edwards was named as Kerry's VP. Some believed Edwards landed the position through quid pro quo. In 2006, tax filings revealed Johnson was the treasurer of a nonprofit called the American Friends of Bilderberg, which raised money to pay for the conferences. It's conceivable that aspiring politicians like Edwards could funnel money into the nonprofit to pay for access and effectively buy the vice presidency. Two years later, Barack Obama also hired Johnson to screen potential VP candidates. And in June, right in the middle of the running mate search, Obama briefly went missing. Journalists hopped on board a plane at Virginia's Dulles International Airport to accompany the candidate home to Chicago. But there was a problem. Obama wasn't on board. The reporters suspected he was secretly meeting with a possible VP candidate, Hillary Clinton. But they weren't at Clinton's mansion in D.C. So where were they? Conspiracy theorists noted an odd coincidence. Dulles was fairly close to the Westfields Marriott. And this hotel just so happened to be hosting a very secretive conference, the Bilderberg meeting. Speculation ran wild. Perhaps Obama and Clinton were meeting the Bilderberg Group so the organization could choose his running mate. If so, it seems the Bilderbergs weren't impressed with Clinton. Obama ultimately named Joe Biden as his veep. But he packed his administration with Bilderbergers. His Health and Human Services Secretary, three top economists, and two diplomats were all members of the organization. So even if they weren't hand-selecting the individuals who would lead the nation, Bilderbergers can still install themselves into top positions. As one attendee noted, quote, You'd be hard-pressed to find an administration that hasn't reached into those ranks into the last 20, 30, 40 years. Plus, the government is packed with members of other shadowy organizations, sometimes under the guise of think tanks. Officially, think tanks are supposed to research and propose specific policies in areas such as political strategy, economics, and technology. And sometimes they may exist solely to circumvent the will of the people. After the devastation of World War I, President Woodrow Wilson hoped to form a League of Nations to prevent a future global conflict. But the U.S. was in an isolationist mood. The plan was shot down by Congress. That said, many people believed in his ideal, but they weren't as concerned about the whole peace part of it. They were more worried about their bank accounts. And thus, a cohort of scholars, high-level government officials, and Wall Street capitalists gathered to ensure their money flowed 
in the right direction. They formed the Council on Foreign Relations, or CFR. It was like the Bilderberg Group, but laser-focused on finance. The Monthly Review called the CFR, quote, the ultimate networking, socializing, agenda-setting, strategic planning, and consensus-forming organization of the U.S. capitalist class. Today, CFR associates comprise nearly 57% of President Joe Biden's cabinet. These include Vice President Kamala Harris, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen. With so many CFR members in the White House, the think tank has the influence to advance its agenda. It raises the possibility that Biden's policies were set long before his inauguration by the CFR. However, there's no proof the CFR is dictating American law, and there are limits on their reach. It's not like we have an NWO puppet in the White House. But with a two-party system, we do have limited options. And it's not surprising that sometimes our only choice, or illusion of choice, is between two rich, powerful, elite individuals. Social clubs and think tanks tend to perpetuate the interests of the wealthy. And these days, the NWO wouldn't even need to meet behind closed doors to advance their agenda. They'd only need plenty of cold, hard cash. Coming up, why corporations are king. Now, back to the story. In the 1930s, a black man named Mr. Trout was a hard worker. He landed better and better work at the cotton mill, but his pay was still low. He joined a union and became politically active. And in the 1930s, he hoped Franklin Roosevelt would get reelected because Roosevelt supported unions. But on election day, Trout didn't vote. He couldn't afford it. After the Civil War, some Americans had to pay to exercise their rights. This way, the ruling elite could disenfranchise the poor and hold on to their power. Even though he was passionate about change, Trout never made enough to cast a ballot in his lifetime. Thankfully, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 solved the problem for later generations. On August 6th, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed a landmark law that protected the right to vote, especially for Southerners who'd been subjected to the poll tax and other deterrents. Every family across this great entire searching land will live stronger in liberty and will be prouder to be American because of the act that you have passed that I will sign today. Four years later, voter turnout among black people in Mississippi increased nearly tenfold, from 6% to 59%. Finally, all Americans had the legal right to participate in their democracy. But a higher voter turnout is bad for the NWO. Allegedly, their goal is to control the everyday citizen. And they can't do it if the public is exercising their power. So perhaps they're taking steps to undermine the democratic process. In 2020, President Donald Trump alleged the November election was racked with voter fraud. 
He claimed fraudsters used dead people's names to cast extra votes. Machines were rigged and unmarked vehicles dumped ballots into polling stations. In reality, voter fraud is very rare. Out of the three million votes cast in Wisconsin, the state found only 27 were fraudulent. 16 of those seemed to be accidents. People registered at a UPS store instead of their home address. They had nothing to do with Trump's claims. And when Trump created a commission to find cases of fraud, even they came up empty-handed. But the facts haven't stopped some media outlets from fear-mongering. At the time of this recording, Republicans are introducing bills that shorten early voting periods, prohibit voting on Sundays, or abolish voting by mail. If these become law, they'll make it more difficult for some working-class people to get to the polls. The point isn't to protect voter integrity. The goal is to shut people out of the process. And the former president isn't the only person with a possible vested interest in these bills. Though they're proposed by Congress, they're bankrolled by corporations. During the 2020 election cycle, telecom giant AT&T single-handedly gave $300,000 to voter suppression activist groups. Overall, corporations gave $22 million to lawmakers who supported voter suppression bills. The average American simply can't compete with this kind of influence, no matter how many $5 or $10 donations they make to their favorite candidates. This isn't by accident. Corporations, or the NWO, can legally donate as much as they want without limit to candidates. The reason is Citizens United. This Supreme Court ruling lifted certain restrictions on political donations from political action committees, or PACs. These are nonprofit organizations that fundraise and then donate money to politicians or groups, often to advance a particular agenda. PACs have been around since 1944, when union members created the first ones to raise money for President Roosevelt's re-election. But in 2010, the Supreme Court created a monster. They deemed financial contributions counted as free speech, not just for private citizens, but for entire corporations. In practice, the ruling suggested that when it comes to money and politics, companies should be treated just like individuals. PACs became super PACs, and companies could contribute unlimited funds to get their favorite candidates elected or to sway the public's opinion. Like we discussed previously, propaganda is a powerful way to get what you want. And in the 2020 election, super PACs spent more than $2 billion to advance their agenda. These donations often came with strings attached. Super PACs donate to the candidate who's most likely to support their interests. And if an official's constituents have needs that directly conflict with the PACs, who do you think the politician is going to support? In 2017, the House introduced a bill that gave tax cuts to corporations. It was deeply unpopular with the American people, but many representatives were dead set on voting for the legislation. They needed to bend to the will of the super PACs that wanted to avoid paying taxes. Republican Chris Collins even admitted, my donors are basically saying, get it done or don't ever call me again. Congress voted yes, and Trump signed the tax cuts into law. 
Likewise, an NWO could easily pump their resources into the system, and the general public would be none the wiser. In fact, they might already be doing exactly that. A small handful of donors make the majority of the contributions. From 2010 to 2018, over one-fifth of the money raised for candidates came from just 11 wealthy individuals. And these issues aren't limited to the United States. Foreign powers can also buy influence over our leaders. Consider American diplomat Marie Yovanovitch, who served in the Foreign Service for 32 years. In 2019, she got involved in a Ukrainian anti-corruption fight, and Ukraine's prosecutor general wanted her fired. He texted a contact in the States, a private businessman named Lev Parnas. Normally, a Ukrainian politician would have no say in a U.S. official's employment. But thanks to Citizens United, he and Parnas found a way to get rid of Yovanovitch. Parnas promised President Trump he'd make a major contribution to his super PAC. In exchange, he received an invitation to a private donor party at the Trump International Hotel. There, they discussed Ukraine's vulnerability to Russia, and Parnas implied Yovanovitch was a problem. Soon afterward, Yovanovitch was fired. The American people may have elected Trump to office, but ultimately, the Ukrainian government was calling the shots. All it took was cash in the right hands. But this is just one way money infiltrates politics. Sometimes, corporations can rewrite laws, and the consequences for the public can be deadly. In 2013, a DEA agent sat in a dim high school gymnasium in tears. A projector displayed photos of young high schoolers wearing graduation clothes or football jerseys. Each student had something in common. They died after a battle with opioid addiction. The agent felt remorse. He was supposed to be on the front lines, stopping the flow of prescription painkillers. But thanks to lobbying from the pharmaceutical industry, the DEA's hands were tied. Their best weapon against drug importation was their ability to freeze shipments they believed were in imminent danger. Under ordinary circumstances, they could shut down clinics that overprescribed controlled substances. But when it came to opioids, the drug industry fought back. They funneled money to Pennsylvania Representative Tom Marino's super PAC. And in 2015, Marino introduced a bill that limited the DEA's power. The DEA tried to stop the proposal, but the pharmaceutical industry spent $102 million lobbying for the bill. It was ratified. The language of the law was precise because it was written by a former DEA attorney. Now, instead of prosecuting Big Pharma, he was helping them, and he was likely paid well for it. With the revolving door between the private and public sectors, corporations know how to exploit the government's weak points. It makes the playing field uneven, especially for individuals who try to fight back. Jennifer Weiss Burke's son broke his collarbone in a high school wrestling match and was prescribed Percocet. He fell into a torturous downward spiral of addiction and a couple of years later at age 19, overdosed on heroin. 
In 2016, Weisberg pushed for a bill that would limit opioid prescriptions in New Mexico. A policy like this would have prevented her son's death and many others. New Mexico ranked second in opioid deaths per capita. But behind the scenes, perhaps because of the fatalities, pharmaceutical companies flooded the state with lobbyists. In the decade leading up to her bill, Big Pharma spent over 200 times more than opioid safety groups. Weisberg still hoped her bill might get passed, since public hearings tended to be relatively quiet. But pharma reps weren't interested in open forums. They could walk into state senators' offices and speak to them one-on-one. So in spite of Weisberg's efforts, her bill failed to pass. Similar policies in other states have hit obstacles, even though they're badly needed. From 1999 to 2019, nearly 500,000 people died from opioids, 10 times the number of U.S. soldiers who perished in the Vietnam War. Like the pharmaceutical industry, the NWO could also use lobbying to reach their goals. Because no one, not the DEA, not private citizens, and not Congress, can stand up to the power of money. Choice is the hallmark of democracy. But reality is bleak. Even when a huge majority of Americans favor policy change, they may not have the influence to enact it. A Cambridge study showed the average American has statistically a near-zero impact on public policy. Another 2014 analysis showed ordinary citizens have little to no influence on the government. However, there is a group that does control the direction of the country, the wealthiest top 10%. An NWO doesn't need to hold yearly conferences to control the population. It doesn't need to install its members as presidents. The average American is already at their mercy. Perhaps political comedian Bassem Youssef had it right when he said, the death of democracy in America could only be summarized in one word, money. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. Next time, we'll examine what happens once the rich and powerful have us in their pockets. We'll wrap up our exploration of the New World Order by asking, what's the NWO's endgame? You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take We Don't Know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ben Caro, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checking by Cara Mackerline, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. I'm Sarah Turney, host of the new Spotify original from ParCast, Disappearances. Every Thursday, join me for an exploration into history's most gripping missing persons cases. 
following timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the truth. From prison breaks and child abductions to second chances and even murder. We'll journey through the many reasons people disappear. Follow my new podcast, Disappearances, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.